Do you have an unexpected story to tell or know someone who does? We'd love to have you on the pod. Please apply at please don't tell anyone pod at gmail.com or follow our application link in bio of our Instagram, please don't tell anyone pod or TikTok account. I mean, I died. I'm pretty sure I did because when I did woke up, I was told you're in the cardiac care unit and you came in unresponsive. Hey, and thanks for coming back to Please Don't Tell Anyone. I'm Molly Clark, your host, and this is the podcast where you hear unexpected stories by ordinary people. I go and blind to all my interviews so that I can hear the story firsthand, just like you. Please don't tell anyone. I said, please don't tell anyone. Don't tell I said, them. please don't tell anyone. Please don't tell anyone. Don't tell I said, them. please don't tell anyone. I said, please don't tell anyone. Don't tell Begin them. On Friday, June 8th, 2012, I was airlifted out of Bonnaroo Music Festival in Manchester, Tennessee. During this near-death experience, I left my physical body and was able to watch almost as a third party as I was airlifted to the cardiac care unit in Chattanooga, Tennessee on life support. The next day I awoke and by Sunday, June 10th, I miraculously returned to the festival after refusing to be released to a women's shelter. Nine months after the festival, I ended up having a complete mental breakdown, an existential crisis triggered by that experience that led me to do a series of wild and crazy things, landing me in a mental hospital for a week where I forgot my own name for two days. Believing I actually died June 8th may sound out there, but it all happened, and the event became a launching pad for my now 10 years of sobriety after a three-year addiction to heroin and opiates. This is a story about mental health and stigmas around drug addictions and addicts. It's been a long journey, and I'm very grateful to still be on this earth. You know, what's wild about this and this podcast in general is like I sit across from you right now over Zoom Zencaster, and you seem completely normal. (laughs) You do not seem like someone who (laughs) would have that story. So wherever you feel like this starts, you start, and I'll jump in and ask questions and Take us on this journey. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So I was born in New Jersey and I moved back to, I moved to Georgia. Like Georgia was kind of like a place we would go and visit in the summertime. And I stayed here for five years with my dad and my sister and my mom, everybody. They were still in Jersey. My sister went to college and everything. And in those, you know, five years that I was in Georgia, I kind of always felt like I never really got to enjoy life. Like we moved here when I was probably like in my early 20s. And so I never went to college. I started working right away. And, you know, I kind of just wanted to live or figure out who I am because I am, you know, Haitian American and first generation at that. And so you're kind of, I would say you're very protected. You're very, you know, it's all about home and family. And, you know, it's a good way, you know, and I appreciate it now, but I think I just kind of felt like, you know, my sister enjoyed um, her, you know, college years and, you know, went going to frat parties and enjoying life. And I never really got to do that. And so in 2010, I decided, you know, I'm going to go back to Jersey and I just want to kind of enjoy life and see what I'm made of away from my parents. And I did really well. I ended up getting a job working at the airport. And in 2011, for the first time, I went to a music festival. I started going to shows, and I really just kind of like felt 
the power of music, like what that did for me and what that was all about. And, you know, when you enter that culture, you also experiment with different things and your mind sort of starts to expand a little bit more. And, you know, the things that you sort of like were feeling so much of as a kid, it starts to make sense. You know, you're just, you're on an exploration. And I really did explore. And in the off times when I wasn't going to a festival, I'm now experimenting with opiates and experimenting with, you know, psychedelic drugs and also still going to shows. But I'm, you know, experimenting so much that I think I started to really underestimate the power of addiction and what that does to you. Like, you know, you can have fun, but a lot of times, you know, moderation is definitely important and you really have to you know, we're all different and maybe one friend can like party extra hard and seem okay. And another person, you know, can still have their nine to five and do all that stuff. And I just solely started to like fade away. And every, you know, after my first experience at Bonnaroo, me and my group of friends, like when we went in, we probably went in, you know, very much ourselves. And when we left, we left just wanting to keep the party going. And 2012 was, I was probably a year into really using heroin as a crutch, you know, opiates to heroin. And it became sort of like between money and trying to save money, like to get to the festival, a lot of us had to withdraw, you know what I mean? Because you can't buy, you know, what is your, your fix yeah. is anymore. And so we end up going to, I end up going to Bonnaroo in 2012, sort of withdrawing. And entering this magic space, the place that I love so much, I want to say like kind of like at a crossroads in my mind as, as a sense of like, you know, these festivals, are, there's something about community that you like really are drawn to and that you're really, you know, wanting to be a part of. But when you're in it and when you're experiencing the music, your mind and your body sort of disassociates. It's really hard to be present. It's really hard to be like aware of what's going on. And so... We arrived there on June 8th and I, I mean, on June 7th, it's the Thursday, the day before, and I'm struggling with my mental health and I'm struggling with being present and I'm struggling with recognizing that, man, I don't think I'm really doing that great. I think I may have a problem. And I'm also enjoying some amazing bands that I'm obsessed with that have really spoken to me. And so, you know, that first night, along with the act of getting there, I had this sort of like experience to where, oh, sorry, hold on. I'm, I'm so sorry. It's like, I feel like myself no, is good. like going back there and I have to really like be concise because it was so much. And so I'm, I'm really just trying to like, you know, put it all, you know, together and not get, you know, swept away. If you want to just dive in where you're at, that's fine. But I, I was going to pause you because I had some questions okay. just like cool. leading up to yeah. this. I'd love a little bit more insight on your family dynamic because you were saying is it was it just you and your sister or was it did you have more siblings it's just me and my sister so I'm the oldest and she's the, okay. she's the youngest and um you know when she graduated from college she moved back to Georgia um to stay with my dad and then I went to Jersey I think like what's missing for me is how do you you were painting this picture of of a really close family or what seemed like it. Was that true? A hundred percent. Like we're, yeah. yeah. And usually, and again, this is a massive judgment, but usually when I hear like someone in New Jersey doing heroin, I'm thinking of someone who's 
isolated themselves and maybe doesn't have a close-knit family or something like that. How did it go from just going and the classic experimenting in your 20s to getting into heroin? Because it's it's not just like marijuana. That I mean, that's an intense drug to experiment with. I think, you know, going back, you know, I was from Jersey, so... A lot of my friends were like family, like my parents knew them. And so, go, you know, okay. I had aunts and uncles and, you know, I have, you know, a lot of family that's still in Jersey as well. And so, like, I didn't leave a community of love to, like, you know, just like getting into it. I left a home, you know, that was wonderful and loving, but I also felt like I left home, which was Jersey. And so mm-hmm. coming to Georgia, I met wonderful people. I was here for five years at a wonderful job. I, you know, was made an honor at my friend's wedding. I, you know, I met some wonderful people. But again, I always felt like I was like the good daughter. Like I didn't, so you know, interesting. I didn't. Because this isn't the classic story. Right. This isn't like the loner <laughs> yeah. finds other loners and now they're behind the no, Wawa doing heroin. It, in fact, every one of my group of friends that were using we all came from wonderful families. Like we were all just like a wonderful group of friends. And funnily enough, you know, a lot of us have gotten sober. You know, a few of us have lost our lives and we've mm-hmm. all kind of come back together. Having experienced all these things, you know, as a watcher, as a supporter, as a best friend. And, you know, it's been wonderful to, you know, at the time when I would tell this story, you know, there was a lot of cracks and fractures. And now after the story, it's just like one of those wild things that we experienced and we kind of came out of in a positive way, which is not always okay. And again, we have lost some really wonderful humans in our circle that were like family, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but we're, you know, we're, we're, we're alive to tell the story. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like certain drugs unfortunately have a stigma with who they identify with or like the type of people that use them. Yeah. For me personally, I would say as an addict, I just felt too much. I'm ultra empathetic. I can enter a room and sense people's energies and like people open up to me and they tell me things and I can connect and I can understand what they're going through. And then I can go home and feel it. You know what I mean? And then I'm not sleeping for four days and I'm like, what is going on? And then I'll tap back into that person. I'm like, oh, my God, no wonder. You know what I mean? Because I, mm-hmm. I you know, I just felt so much. And that that was a lot of my friends were were thinkers, were protesters, were we're into it all. And we feel yeah. so much of this world. And sometimes we're just trying to quiet it down to make it all make sense, because life can be so polarizing and you know, it's not just one way. And when you start to experiment on different things, maybe someone is using, you know, heroin to quiet the noise. Maybe someone is using cocaine because they're not feeling enough. Maybe someone is. Yeah. It's just so much, you know, more about the mental health of it all and like physicalness of it all than just kind of like socially in a sense. Yeah. So. Okay, great. I think that that gives a, a really insightful backstory that I wasn't aware of. Yeah. So. Now that I have that picture, we get to Bonnaroo. You're with your great group of friends. You're all deep in your addictions at this point, I take we're, it? We're a year, probably summer or two years, some are a year. Some are using, you know, year two to experiment some more in things that they don't have access to. But we're following the music, you know what I mean? Like, 
I mean, that's the year that Radiohead performed. I'm obsessed uh-huh. with Radiohead. That's the year that Beach Boys performed. There was a lot of Fish fans that were there. There's a lot, you know, uh-huh. so it was just all about the music. And this was like our second year. And, you know, we decided we're going to go every year for the rest of our lives. We did make it to you know, five years straight, we're feeling more alive than we ever felt. It sounds like the 2000s Woodstock or something. Like <laughs> That's what it, it It is definitely like that. Like, that is kind yeah. of like the best for anyone that's never gone to a festival. But it's more about togetherness. So, yeah, Friday morning, I am battling some pain on my ankle. It had swollen up because I had fallen the Thursday night, like tripped over something. And then that night I woke up and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't walk. And so one of my friends kind of was, you know, like, first of all, you have to stop doing any drugs that you're doing right now because, you know, they were in the medical field um, as an EMT and they kind of knew what needed to be done for me to kind of figure out how I'm going to do the rest of this festival because I can't walk. I stand up. I'm in severe pain. They don't have a wheelchair. I'm sort of like, I can't, I'm not going to sit in the campsite the whole night. Like Radiohead is tonight. Like we got to figure out what's going to be done. And so I was kind of told, you know, wrap it, get an ace bandage, take certain pills that take something like, I don't know if I, am I allowed to just talk freely? You said whatever you want, please. (laughs) He told me to take. It's literally the secret telling podcast. He told me to take (laughs) a half of Vicodin and a muscle relaxer. And so that way I could just kind of deal with the rest of the day, but don't take anything else. And if I were to take something like a psychedelic drug, don't take it till like late tonight or at least just for the the closer of the night. So mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, cool. When you're at Bonnaroo, unfortunately, time does not make sense anymore. And so you're like going in from one wonderful experience to the other. And then before long, you just forget everything. And what happened was I forgot that I had hurt my ankle. Because I'm mm-hmm. not feeling it anymore. So I'm going to have some fun. And I end up, unfortunately, taking an MDMA. But, like, at the time, we were aware that there was some bad MDMA going on or around. And typically, I'm very good at spotting stuff like that. And so it was one of those things where, because I was an addict, I couldn't bear the thought of getting rid of the bad, you know, MDMA. I had contact case and I put the bad one in one section and the good one in the other and I told myself I was going to remember which was which but by the time two acts before Bonnaroo comes on I don't fucking know what's going on and I end up taking the bad MDMA and so as I'm getting closer to the closer I think it dawned on me that I think I took the bad MDMA and I'm sort of like in this like headspace that like I've got to figure out how to get my act together because, like, I can't OD or, you know, allow something Mm -hmm. bad to happen to me in this, you know, scenario. And so I'm drinking a ton of water and I'm getting to, you know, the radio head and I'm recognizing that, like, there is a high probability that I took the bad MDMA. And what makes you what makes someone good at spotting bad MDMA? <laughs> like, isn't it just a pit? Like, what were you able to see about they're it? They're crystallized. And so sometimes okay. in a crystallized, you can tell by color and size of okay. something. You know what I mean? And so if it's too dark, 
there's a higher probability that it's cloudier and mixed in with so this is like it's it's science <laughs> you know what I mean? no i appreciate it. i just and have so, zero no clue. no it's it's and it's crazy because like not many people i don't i never realized like how much of a gift that was in a weird way because <laughs> not many yeah. people ever got that but like it, it was just very bizarre my brain is very bizarre you know they were testing kits that were around and we just never had the opportunity to, to like test it and unfortunately in my sort of like greed and in sort of like thought of whatever I just kept it so I was unable to pretty much test it like I said and so um in this moment where I'm enjoying Radiohead I'm starting to kind of feel my body sort of shut down and in the process of it shutting down I'm sort of like talking to it here's the type of person I am and it's not a good thing but I'm the type of person where I would never want to cause a fuss you know what I mean so the whole time that I'm sort of like recognizing that I'm possibly between the acts of withdrawing where my body's already weak and this pain, this unbelievable pain that's happening on my foot that I'm not feeling right now, I'm starting to recognize that like I'm not really present anymore. Like I'm like my body is physically leaving itself. And it was so, it was just such a like bizarre experience because I remember thinking like, I think I'm dying. Like, I think literally I'm dying. And in my mind, I'm like, well, how are you going to die, girl? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how is this going to happen? And I'm like, well, I'm at Bonnaroo. So, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just going to find a way to stay in one spot so I can be alone and sort of put all the pieces together again. And so, uh, you know, Radiohead plays every single song I ever wanted to hear. Songs that like me and my friends, we, you know, before every festival, you're trying to think of like first who's going to perform at the festival. And then when that happens and you're like so happy, you're now trying to figure out what set they're going to play at the festival. And so I'm saying all these songs and my friends are like challenging me. Radiohead hasn't played that song in so many years. There's no way that they're, I'm like, if there's any place you're going to play it, it's Bonnaroo. And, you know, and I'm like listening to like Nude from Radiohead and like Paranoid Android from Radiohead and like all the good songs that like you've heard in your living room, like I'm experiencing it like right in front of my face and I'm sort of like you know what if this is how I go I'm okay with it you know what I'm saying and so I enter this space of like jubilee and acceptance and and all of that but like I'm sitting down I'm standing up I'm trying to drink a lot of water but I'm also recognizing like my body is really doing something right now and at the end of it, um, they play their encore, which of course they have to come back out. And I'm with my best friend and we're enjoying this beautiful, you know, moment of sheer jubilee. It was sort of like, I I don't know how to explain it. He was just, he. It, there was this moment where like he was, right when it was over, I was like, I could stand here forever. And he was like, we gotta go. Like we got things to do. We gotta go to Mimosa or you know, the, the, this like any M band that's performing and we gotta rage tonight. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm gonna sit here and just kind of bask in the glow of what this was. And so there was this in moment where he was just like, are you crazy? Like we, we gotta go. And I'm just like, I'm gonna sit here. And he was like, well, I'm leaving and I'm like, I'm going to sit here and just enjoy this. I don't think I have the energy. I'm just going to go back to the campsite. He's like, are you sure? I was like, yes, I'm going to go back to the campsite. I'm just going to sit here. And he's like, okay. And so he leaves. And when he leaves, I, I'm sitting down and I'm now recognizing that like 
my body is slowly shutting down. Like my heart is beating slower and my, I don't know how to explain it. It's crazy because like it was, I think what I may have taken was possibly, you know, what is now fentanyl. Mm -hmm. But like, it was one of those things where like, it didn't hit me as big as, as like one, two punch. It hit me in like a very sort of like slow way where I was able to not cause any attention and sort of like feel like at one moment I'm just sitting down on the ground and just listening to the music. You know what I mean? Another moment I'm just like kind of like feeling my body sort of like slow down and shut down that like I don't really know how to explain it, but like it wasn't like this quick, you know, sort of experience. And so as the stage started clearing out and as I started to lay down into the grass, I started realizing that people are like walking past me and like kicking me or accidentally. And I'm just not getting up. And, you know, the more that like it's emptying out and the stage is clearing out, I'm just like can't seem to sort of like get enough water in me or catch my breath. And then all of a sudden, before I know it, I'm being shaken. Like I could feel myself being shaken, like literally shaking awake. And it's, I can tell like outside of my body that like what may be happening right now is that somebody alerted an EMT person and, you know, one of the first aid people and they're trying to wake me up. And before I know it, like within no time, I'm being provided CPR. I'm being checked for a pulse. Got a pulse, I think. And then they carried me because, and I'm very, I'm overweight, by the way. You know what I mean? Like I have boobs. I've got like two bras, like, you know, sports bras. So like they get me into like behind the curtain or whatever, their first aid area. And they're literally got chest compressions, but they had to cut my bra and cut my thing to get down because my they couldn't reach my heart because my chest are so big. Mm -hmm. And so they finally manage, and I'm sensing this and I'm feeling shame and I'm feeling like, I'm telling myself, get up. Like they, they cut your fucking bra open. Your breasts are exposed to all these people. Like, you know, like, are you fucking kidding me? You know what I mean? Like get up and I'm trying to get myself to wake up and I can't wake up. I can't open my eyes. I can't do that. And then before I know it, I'm sensing myself a, a helicopter. It's has like I'm in a helicopter or something is happening and I've been now carried across the grounds of Bonnaroo and I'm like in some helicopter in my head I'm like how the fuck did they get a helicopter like where could they be getting a helicopter like there's no way there's a helicopter in Bonnaroo like where do the helicopters land like everywhere is so full I could feel my body is being like lifted up into the heavens I am now being intubated and to tell you, being intubated is one of the most horrific feelings that you can ever feel because imagine a tube is going down your throat and it's, I'm sorry, I'm very graphic, but no, it's please. very, it's literally jarring. You know what I mean? You feel your, your, your whole vocal cords being grabbed to shreds and then something is pumping, you know, something is pumping. And then I'm just in a state of bliss is sort of, now I'm not here, but I'm not there, but I'm there, you know what I mean? My essence in my body is now back at Bonnaroo with my friends watching or experiencing their rest of their night. Meanwhile, the other half of me is literally on a helicopter 
And another part of my brain cells is like stepping out into the ether, you know, trying to find a place to land. And so I'm in this space. And before I know it, I'm like laying. It's like, what time was this? This is probably like, oh, I get to the hospital. I remember they, I could hear them kind of saying like, she's unresponsive. Wait, I don't feel anything. I, I can't hear a pulse. I don't sense a pulse. Do you hear it on the, you know, they're putting something like things on my body, you know, to kind of, you know, like see if I'm alive. And it, it's like, there's, you know, they can't find things. And before I know it, you know, I'm, I, I'm, it's like beep, 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 beep. And I, I step away. And when I come back to, I'm laying in a bed. I'm intubated. I have a breathing machine. I have a feeding tube. I have a catheter. I have an IV. I open my eyes and I'm looking at a clock. But a little before that, every song that I could ever think about from like the moment I was born, when my dad, you know, had me, brought me home from the hospital, any song that I could think about, like that was what was sort of like when I was in that in-between, probably when they're trying to like bring me back, I, I'm I'm sort of like just listening to music and, and sort of deciding if this is it, this is kind of it or is it? And when I wake up and I'm sort of laying there, I remember it was probably, I want to say maybe 4 a.m. or something like that, that, fr that Saturday morning and... I remember like thinking maybe I was abducted by aliens. I thought for a moment that like I was still at Bonnaroo, but they had like a hospital. I thought that, you know, I remember looking out the window and sort of thinking that like I could still see the festival and I was waiting at one point, like my friends are just gonna, they're probably gonna call, tell my friends that like, I'm like, but how do they know where I am? I'm like, but where's my fault? Like, you know, how is people going to find out? Like, I'm in this hospital. And this is all part of the near-death experience that people who have had similar experiences to you, like, that's what, it's very similar what they explain, right? They're, like, witnessing what's happening from above their own body or, so you're saying that that's what was happening to you. This wasn't, like, a drug trip. It, this was, like, one of those out-of-body near-death experiences that you hear about. I mean, I died. I'm pretty sure I did. Because when I did woke up, I was told, you are in the cardiac care unit and you came in unresponsive. And so I'm sort of like, whoa, like it's kind of like, holy shit. And yeah, it was it was a near death experience. And, you know, it's so funny because you was like, that's kind of like what people, you know, talk about. And I'm like, honestly, I couldn't tell you, you know, there's this application that um, a lot of people can kind of talk to. And I've probably heard different stories of other people's near death experiences. But I'm telling you, every single one is always different. Yeah, there's yeah. All, it's never, you know, similar. And it's so bizarre, like what that does. And I always had a feeling I was like, I think it's kind of like how you live your life. You know, it's all sort of connected and I grew up Catholic um but not really religious and you know we just kind of followed those roles because it was a better school system my dad is a very spiritual man and you know being Haitian kind of tapped into nature you're very into like the organics of things and so that was sort of definitely something that I pretty much had a just kind of like an awareness for and and I think that's why 
I was able to sort of like step into like a state of bliss where it's all about music for me because it's always been about music. Like my life has always been connected to music. I love it so much. And so it just, I just music is healing and I could go on another tangent, but that's not what this podcast is about. And so, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of in this state where I remember they came in and they told me that they found a lot of drugs in my system. Hmm. And so, you know, it was going to be a, a, a long recovery. You know, it's sort of like what, how, you know, what comes next and, you know, where I am at right now. They said, you know, if you could urinate this amount, we can take out the catheter. If you can, you know, ingest this amount, we could do this. So there was a lot of things that I had to do to kind of, one, eliminate all the drugs that were in my toxins, but also because I know how the hospital system works. I know how, you know, I was a nursing home for a long time, like I've worked as a CNA. And so I went to nursing school twice. Unfortunately, I never got a nurse's license, but I, I got the schooling for it. And so, you know, I kind of was aware that like right now I'm just an addict or a girl that, you know, is literally at this hospital because she overdosed at a festival when she was airlifted out. So, yeah. you know, I, and on top of that, I'm African-American. So like, you know, we're not African-American, but I am black. And so yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those things where you're sort of like aware and, and I'm in the South. And so I recognize right away that like my care and sort of like what is, you know, comes next for me really is going to show what kind of patient I am in this, you know, situation. And it was very interesting to sort of like be this person that is, you know, being looked at as simply someone that had all these combinations of drugs in their system and on in the same breath is sort of like doing everything that she needs to do, but also trying to get back to where she was or get back to this festival or get back to somewhere. And so the first thing that was done when I woke up and I was able to, they removed the intubation, which was horrendous. Being awake when that's being, it's horrendous. And so I, they got my sister's number and they um, called her and my sister was devastated and she was going to come and pick me up. She was going to, she was in Georgia at the time. And so I was in Chattanooga and I was unaware of that, but it was only about, you know, an hour and a half away, or maybe two hours max for her to get there. And in, in this state where text, where it was very, I, communication was done with, at first I couldn't talk, talk with me writing and the nurses helping. And then, you know, eventually my sister's talking and I'm just listening, you know, I'm trying to let her know, you know, she's mad at my friends and I'm just like, no, like, you don't understand, like, please don't be mad at them. Like, this is on me. And she's just ready to come and get me. And I don't think that's the right move. Like, I need to get back to this festival. Like, that is my goal is to get back to this Why? festival. Why? I already knew by the end of Saturday night that I would be released Sunday morning. And so they, like I said, I had did things that, like, it's so crazy how the mind works and how I was able to do things, but I had to eat even though I was in pain. You know what I mean? It was so much. And that was the only way that they were going to sort of, like, release me and I showed that I could walk and all these things. And then they said, so this is your option. We have, we'll get a car service to either go and, you know, drop you off at a women's shelter, or you can wait until your sister comes and gets you. And I was like, no, I'm going to go back to the festival. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Why I don't understand why those were the options. First of all, why were you so focused on going back to the festival after this? Like usually when someone dies and comes back to life at Bonnaroo, 
they would want to, I don't know, just go home and watch TV for a bit. Like, why did you want to go back to the hospital? First of all, it costs a lot of money um, to get there. <laughs> so does a helicopter being heli backed out. I, it's funny because I've never really asked my sister, and that's probably a question I should ask her, is be like, what did I say to you to convince you? That like I you weren't coming to pick me up pick me up and I was yeah. going to the festival, you didn't even like drag me you know or anything out of that so it it's just funny but I love music so much like music is like me and like I think Beach Boys was performing and that was like something I've always wanted to like experience and. I had already missed Red Hot Chili Peppers, which I was <laughs> devastated over. And you like <laughs> this was my logic. <laughs> you you would die like you genuinely would die for this festival is what I'm learning. Like that you were gonna go back under any circumstance and get to hear who you needed to hear. And if you died doing it, it sounds like you were gonna be okay with that. That's just explain to me though the other part of it, which was the women's shelter. Why was that? their go-to because they, I couldn't because my friends weren't going to get out until Monday and so I've already been released that Sunday so I there's a I there's a span of time like where I can't go anywhere else like I need to go somewhere like it because it, it's Sunday morning that I am I woke up um like they, they're going to release me maybe Sunday around 10 o'clock in the morning my friends weren't going to leave the festival till like Monday sort of like evening, the way you leave a festival, it's always such a long thing. I'm in Chattanooga, so technically I was probably like an hour and a half or maybe two hours away from the festival. And so I couldn't hang out in at the hospital for anyone to come pick me up. Like, where am I going to go? And so that was where I was going to go for a few hours until they can pick me up. And so I remember my sister was like, well, how are they going to pick? You know what I mean? Because she, my sister was kind of the middleman at one point too between my friends and the festival because when, you know, everyone was like, eventually they had reached out to my sister. You know, there was a lot of like chains going on. They were losing their minds in this sense. Like, I think they recognized by that. But when I wasn't there the whole Saturday, like no one saw me all Saturday, then they realized like shit popped. But like, you know, it took probably like midday and they're all going to different places. And then eventually they'd gotten the news that there was a girl that was airlifted out of the festival. And so now for them, they can't really, it's not like, you know, unless they get, you know, I'm an hour and a half away. They had no choice but to kind of like continue on with the festival, but not in like, they're not living their best life. You know what I mean? But they're worried. But I want to say by Saturday, like afternoon, my sister had already connected with them. So they know, knew that I was in the hospital. I was had been on life support and they're going to have to pick me up from the hospital or whatever. So in my mind, I'm kind of sort of realizing like, the, my life was still in Jersey. So in my mind, going back to Georgia didn't mean anything. And I'm like, all right, well, I think I had convinced her now that I think about it, that I just needed to get back to Jersey and like just the sort of the logistics to get all my stuff that was in Jersey to come back was going to be more complicated. And I was sane enough to get to the festival, come back to J- Jersey and then come back home. And so, you know, and that was sort of like where that was with with that. And I think that, you know, it... It, it now that I, you know it, there was a lot of drive in me because there was still part of me that had still believed. I was shocked that I was still alive, because the nurses were shocked that I was you know alive. And um, apparently there was a doctor that was there, and that's how I ended up. Um, they ended up 
paying for the nurses ended up getting a car service um, for me to go back to the festival. And they had all pulled their money together so that I could do that. And, you know, it's kind of crazy because like one of the things I always like reflect back, I've never been able to reconnect with that. It's funny because I do have a friend that moved to Chattanooga and it wasn't until I was like looking back because I wrote my dad like this whole, because one of the things, you know, at the beginning we talked about how close I was to my family. Last night I found this like long letter that I'd emailed to my dad on AOL about everything because I swore my sister never to tell my dad. My dad kind of already had an idea because my sister was like, hey, I'm going to be gone for like two to four hours. And because we still live at home with our parents. And at that time, my sister was. And my dad was like, we talk about this story later on. And my dad always says, you said you were going to go be gone for two and a half to four hours. You left for like a half an hour and then you came back. And I kept wondering, why did you come back only 30 minutes after you had just told me you were going? And she never told him. Mm. And so, which is kind of dope on my sister's part, but <laughs> it was, <laughs> she, during that drive, I, you know, convinced her, like, not, don't come get me. I'm going to figure this out. Like, I'm going to go. Did you go back to the festival? Yeah. I they let you back in? in? So what happened? What <laughs> I happened feel was, like you would, I, I feel like you would have been on the do not let back in list. No. Nah. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't, I, it definitely wouldn't, wouldn't fly. So okay. like <laughs> the nurses get the thing. I get on this ride. They got me to the gates of like just the entry. And I told them, I was like, listen, just get me as close to possible as things are happening in the festival. Mm -hmm. And like, I'll make my way back in. And so they got me close enough to where I got to the first set of gates and I told them like, hey, I was airlifted out of the festival last night. Like, I'm back. Like, you know what I mean? So, like, <laughs> I don't have a wristband. All my stuff are over there. Uh, you know, so, like, can I get back in? And then they were like, sure. You know what I'm saying? So, like, here you go. Here's, you know, this person. I ended up, like, backstage where all the production people were. And I'm sitting there. And they're trying to, like, confirm my identity and who I am and, like, where I, I was and where all my stuff was. And eventually I'd communicated to them where my campsite was mm -hmm. so that they can go and get someone from my campsite with all my things that were there and stuff like that. And before I knew it, what like I think three of my friends did because they didn't believe it when somebody came in and then they came back and then here I am, you know what I mean? <laughs> and got a wristband and, you know, it was cool because I remember when I drove in, I could hear Beach Boys playing and I was like, oh, it was just such like a sort of like very calming experience in that moment. And yes, I know it sounds crazy, but like I'm one of those people <laughs> where I just feel life sucks a lot sometimes. And so when you find like the Mecca of where you feel your absolute best, I'm gonna get as much of those bests as I can until I can't anymore. And I'm a Taurus, so I'm very strong-headed. And if I want what I want, I'm going to get it. <laughs> that Sunday when you got back, did you do more drugs? No, I did drink a little bit of wine. But, like, that was kind of, like, take the edge off kind of thing. Because my foot was still a mess. And, you know, there was... <laughs> This is not funny. And I hope no one listening to this thinks I'm making light of anything. No, I think. I'm sorry I'm laughing. I, I'm sorry I'm laughing. It's just no, the way I'm you're saying too. it is I so think, You know, I'm, I'm happy that you're laughing and I love it. But I always feel like I have to no. give myself a little. 
disclaimer. Well, I think you're far enough away from it too at this point that you're like, if we were talking six months after this happened, I don't uh, think either of us would be laughing. You know, no. it's, it's you've gone on your recovery journey, and I think when you get sober and as you said you've been 10 years sober and you're able to look back at these things you know you can see it in a different light but ultimately like i don't think anyone's going to disagree that this is a horrifying experience it's just i've never heard someone go back to the festival after dying okay so you can take us wherever you want here but the the next part of your submission was that you know a few months later then you end up in a in a psych ward so the last day of the festival um, after fish is over, I remember we wake up that morning from the tent. And when you wake up on the last day of a festival, it's like the saddest day on earth. And it had rained the night before, which was even more bizarre. And so mm -hmm. my whole crew and I, like, we woke up in like a gully. All of a sudden, there was a river right in the middle of our festival. And so, I mean, everything is wet and it's just rotten. And I remember getting out. And I'm looking at everybody pack up and I'm just watching them pack. And I'm sort of reflecting on my night before. And I'm like, I was literally airlifted out of this festival on Friday. Mm -hmm. And somehow I'm here. And I'm looking at my arm trying to get like evidence to see if I made this whole thing up. And I'm, I see, you know, the bruises on my wrist and where the, the IV had been. I'm seeing, I'm feeling like my throat really hurting. And I'm like, okay, that's where that was. I'm remembering where the catheter went in, you know. And so it's just kind of like the shock has worn off, I guess. And I'm starting to really step into like, holy shit, this was a traumatic thing that I literally just went through. And I remember sort of like rationalizing in my head that like, oh, I know what happened. I had asked whoever was at station nine and three quarters, you know what I mean? Like, please give me one last chance. All I want is to go back to the festival with my friends to experience the last day. And then whatever debt that I have to pay to, you know, have given this one last chance, I'll do it. And so in my mind, I thought I was the person that now had to clean Bonnaroo until everyone came back next year. <laughs> and, so, and so next year, my friends would see me here and all would be well. And I'd found my heaven. And so I can't get in the car with my friends and go back to Jersey because, like, my debt is to this. And so I had always been, like, a clean freak. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, you know we're from Jersey, so take all the shows, put them all together, that's who we are. It was one of those things where I would get very bad OCD. That, that mm -hmm. was something, I, this was before I even knew what OCD was, but when I would be in a festival setting, I had to clean it every single thing. And a lot of times I would have to be sort of like controlled into, and that's kind of like step one into recognizing when I'm in a high stress situation, I tend to feel like I need to organize everything. Yeah, because I, that makes you know, sense. Yeah. I started connecting with people that were cleaning and my friends are like watching me sort of like not help pack the van. And like, I'm eventually like, oh, you can leave that. I'll get rid of that. I don't need this. I don't need that. Everything can stay here. I remember I looked at my friends and I was like, you guys don't know this, but like I died. And so like, I can't go back to Jersey with you guys because I'm here now. And I remember this like burst of rain comes out and my friend, my best, like shakes me. 
And he's like, Jenny, get in the car right now and literally lifts me up, pushes me in the back of the a van, and they drive off. And I'm in the back of the van weeping, like crying. I'm like, I'm so supposed to be here. Like, what are you guys doing? And so my friend ended up playing Arcade Fire for me, which really calmed me down. And I just kind of just stepped into that space and just calmed my mind down and told myself, you know what, Jenny? You need to get your shit together. I remember like, I just kind of dove myself, you know, when I got back to like looking at the pictures and the videos of that year. And I just kind of like focused on work and just, um, you know, at the time I was managing a restaurant and I just sort of just stepped into that space again and then really tried to suck it up. And I told myself, I'm gonna try to get sober. And I felt like that was the root of it. Like I'd finally sort of like, realize like oh you know my I'm I am here I am alive I'm 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 I have to maintain my sobriety like that's the thing I was given another chance not to you know relapse like these get strong and so a couple of my friends and I we started going to NA meetings and we were all trying and then before I knew it we weren't trying anymore and you know we're lying to each other it became a space where like all the series of things started happening to me where I lost my job and it after that happened I didn't have you know much money not only to support my habit but also I wasn't able to find my sense of worth you know I love working and when I you know do a job I just love being in that space and when I didn't have a job it kind of like you know my you know everyone has their like how do you know you you're still uh okay or like what's your rock bottom like for me it was like as long as I ha always had a job I was good and mm -hmm. so and that was just how I would look at things and so when I lost that job within those three met like my sense of self my self-worth like really dropped and I started to really see like the issues that I was having and in that space, recognizing like, oh, damn, I really do have a problem. And so I'm going to have to figure this out. It became a point where one faithful day, I was really fed up. I think I woke, I came home and like, I didn't recognize one person in our apartment. And like, our my, our, my apartment had always been like my safe space and it wasn't anymore. And I remember going into my room and like looking at pictures and like getting really in a state of like almost mania where like, Everything was a lie. And like, I'm tearing up everything in my room, I'm breaking things, going into my, I'm just losing my mind. I'm just like terrorizing the entire apartment. And I remember going downstairs to my best friend's mom's apartment in this sort of like, this is before, like I'm, I'm, I'm just angry and sad and devastated. And I'm crying to her and I'm telling her like, I think I have to go back to Jersey. And like, and I mean, Georgia to be with my parents. And she's like, you know, like you have to do what you think you have to do. Like, it's okay. And in that breath, I'm looking at her and I'm like, man, she was always so good to me. And like, she, you know, took me in when I had lost my job the first time. And I stayed on her couch for like over a year and a half and such a great woman. I need to tell her that we're addicts. But if I tell her I'm betraying my best friend and like, I, that's the last thing I need to do before I leave to go back to Georgia. And I can't betray him. You know what I mean? Like, I can't be the one that betrays him. And I remember trying to go a roundabout way to, like, tell her. But, like, she 
she wasn't, she couldn't see it. She didn't want to see it. Like she just, we weren't on the same page, but I think she was more worried for me because it was obvious something was off with me. And in the same breath, I had called my sister and my sisters to recognize something is off with me. And unbeknownst to me, she had called one of our really good friends who lives probably a couple of towns over. She's like, something's wrong with my sister. I need you to go and check on her. And so while this is happening in my brain, I'm like, I'm done. Like, I'm just tired. I'm done. And I took a bunch of shit. It doesn't matter what I took. But the things that I took made me hallucinate to the quadrillionth degree. And I had thought that my, in the conversation that I had with my best friend's mom, that she had told me, I can take her car and drive it to Georgia. And we'll find a way to get the car back. But it's not a big deal. And I had an aunt that lived a couple of towns over and I was like, oh no, we don't even have to do that. I could take my car, this her car to my aunt's house, who's a couple of towns over, and she can bring it back, but she can take me to Georgia, even better. And so I get in the car and I just drive off and they're like, what the heck? And I'm just like, okay, where do I go? And my brain can't remember how to get to my aunt's house. And I can do that drive from anywhere and get there. And for some reason, I forgot. And I end up following this like bike and I end up at one of our old friend's house, whose house I've never been to. And I get a phone call from him and he's like, Jenny, what are you doing at my house? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, Jenny, like, are you okay? And meanwhile, the word has passed that Jenny stole you know what I mean? <laughs> My friend's mom's car. And so in some weird backwards way, I end up going back to the house to chaos. All of my friends are there and everyone's trying to get me to focus. And I think I'm either back at Bonnaroo trying to get, it just became like a, a beyond chaos of my brain where I was just kind of disassociating from myself, looking at my friends, not seeing who they were. And my sister had them call the EMT. The EMT came and got me and they said, you know, what's your name? And I said, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. I was like, if you take my phone and you pull up my Facebook, my name is on there. And I get to the hospital and I had to consent to be given something so that I can go to sleep. And I couldn't consent. Like, I didn't want to consent. And across from me is this man that's sitting tall in a hospital bed, and he's just staring at me. But I'm not getting, like, fear. Like, I'm disturbed and fearful. It's like someone that is, like, telling me to breathe or someone that is just kind of, like, willing me to put the pieces back together. And there's parts of me is very comforted by this figure that I see. Unbeknownst to me, you know, my dad, who knows everything that's going on, said there was this huge picture of me as a child. And he had taken that, gone outside, and was literally looking at it for me to sort of like come. In the same time that my sister just told we had to call the hospital, Jenny's been, you know, admitted. I'm kind of like sort of connecting with my dad in that weird space because I remember I consented to them. I went to sleep. I woke up. And I just remember the process of being in this space, recognizing what happened, recognizing I'm definitely an addict, 
connecting with other addicts in this space. We're having to do group therapy and we're having to talk about what we've just gone through. And it was really sort of like necessary in that being in that space for me. I was just sort of like recognize that like, okay, I just did something really illegal. You know what I mean? And I really need to, you know, figure this out. Were all of them shocked that you were an addict? I mean, were all these people finding out for the first time? Like, what the, what? People were shocked, you know, family was shocked. My friends were, you know, wearing it together, but you know, we, they were shocked. They were definitely kind of shocked. My dad, I feel like knew that I would, I'm an experimenter. So like, I think he was always worried and all he kept saying was just come back home, come back home. And I remember telling him like, I'm gonna be okay. He's like, no, if your friends are still doing this, you're not going to be okay. Like, I remember, you know, when I was released, um, they gave me, you know, a sort of diagnosis that I, I think personally, I understood how they got there. Um, but, you know, I think I had a psychotic break, but it was easier to say that I was schizophrenic because of just not knowing who I was and this wild, yeah. you know, experience. And I remember telling myself, I was like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can depend on something like this and I had to also recognize like how what's my sobriety look like a lot of people need to go to rehab I had seven days to withdraw and then I had to figure out what that was going to be you know when I got out there because there was no other option for me you know after that this was the rock bottom I just remember going back to Georgia and talking to my parents I, we had such the most candid conversation ever and my dad's like wanting and understanding. My mom was amazing. She handed me the secret um, as a book to return to. And, you know, I was able to like write some goals and figure that what I wanted to do. And um, shockingly, um, I did end up going back to Bonnaroo in 2013, 2014, <laughs> and 2015. <laughs> so that did happen. Were you sober at those Bonnaroos? So, um, what does your sobriety look like? I mean, yeah, sobriety is different. For, I, actually, it's, I'm so happy that you asked that question because I definitely wanted to talk about that. And I think I, I wanted to correct myself. I shouldn't say I'm sober. I'm heroin and opiate free. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's because huge. Yeah. That, that is that for me in my sobriety journey, you know, I can definitely admit, you know, there could be, you know, some issues with alcoholism for me that I have to be more aware of than a lot of other people. I do, you know, have a connection with plant medicine and it's just, it runs deep in my, <laughs> in my soul as, as medicine for me. And so I don't, I'm not frequent with everything. I'm definitely that, but like, you know, heroin and opiate free is definitely where I 1000% draw the line. When you started that sobriety journey did you go to therapy at all did you start going to meetings did you or was it really just like ripping off a band-aid I decided that I needed to figure out what was going to work for me initially I did go to NA meetings um, religiously for a while and that helped for a couple of months but I think recognizing that I didn't feel like I should be there because they abstained from everything. And I felt mm -hmm. like sort of like it was hard for me to want to admit that and also honor what that, you know, experience is like for people that that it does help. I started doing I did yoga every day for a year. I meditated every single night. I really found myself connecting with nature a lot. Um, I decided to go to I decided to go to um, I created 
little fun things for myself. And I was like, I'm going to go on a Georgia hiking tour. And so I would just go to different hikes and, you know, get some people together and just check out different, you know, spots. I'm going to go on a Georgia venue tour. And I would go to different venues and see my favorite bands and, and just slowly start to put the pieces back together again. And I was fortunate enough to get a job back in the nursing field, which really, um, as a nurse's assistant, which, you know, I was with residents with Alzheimer's and dementia for years, and it sort of helped with connecting with people again in a different way. And eventually I got very heavily involved in the music community in Athens and Atlanta and started hosting a music festival with a friend of mine. And we just kind of, I just really became an ultra creative and dabbling in different things and found love for the magic of it all again. And, and really focused on that to where I was able to get more years on my belt and feel like after five years, I may have some sort of, you know, I'm always and forever going to be an addict. This journey of not using heroin opiates is, it's amazing for me because it, you know, it was a catalyst for a lot of different, you know, really traumatic things that happened to me where that was obviously the hang up. And you, you've never gone to formal therapy. I, I'm not asking that as a judgment. I'm just, you're so self-aware and you're so attuned to everything that you're saying. And it seems you like, I mean, I guess NA, a lot of those things get like drilled into you, but it's amazing how you were able to, I have hit times in my life where it is so difficult to click restart and as a creative to get that spark. And I kind of just came out of one of those periods. And as I was, I was saying to my therapist the whole time, it's like where I, when I get scared is when I don't have my spark, when I feel like the light's gone out, like that is very scary. And that's what keeps me human. Right. And so I can't, I just can't imagine personally going through all that without therapy because that's all I've known. So I think it's incredible that you have almost found your own therapy uh, in the world. I do think that there's magic and wonderful things that people get from therapy. I think growing up, my dad has always been sort of like, <laughs> we grew up in a world where we are always asking questions. And I think mm. especially being first generation, like Haitian parents, they, they drill us that make sure that if, when they release you into the world, they want to make sure that you see everything that's happening from top to bottom, left to right. Mm. And if you're not utilizing the resources that are at you. And when I did have the counselor, we sat one-on-one -on -one and he talked to me and really tried to get him to know like where I was. Like he was so amazing and just connecting with me and, and, and helping me make sense of all everything yeah. that was going on that maybe I did have therapy and it was in that moment. Mm -hmm. And maybe in that conversation with him, he really just helped me to sort of just like navigate see it. Yeah. how to kind of maintain or keep my mental health in check because that is an issue that is very much where for me I go you know what I mean where everyone does but like yeah mental health is something I have to be very you know aware of in my yeah. life yeah yeah wow that was a great answer there was no wrong answer I was just <laughs> curious it sounds like you just needed someone to help you get the direction to go on and you've done an incredible job to stay on that and if you ever fall off it sounds like you have the resources and you definitely have the the mindset to be able to ask for help and to to find your way you know when you got that what seems wrong schizophrenic diagnosis and they said that to you like 10 years later you don't do you have these trips that you had before no it was all no yeah definitely no no yeah, yeah no 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 yeah no not to that degree at all 
it takes like knowing yourself too. I mean, you ha one of the things I remember my friend told me was he was like, yo, it's okay not to be okay. And you've heard this cliche so much, but I think we're always acting like everything is fine. And if you yeah. don't do that like work where you're like, you know what? It ain't, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You recognize where you're gonna go, like where you're gonna mm -hmm. end up. And I think because things have, for me has a always happened in such like a maximized state, I really had to, you know, just be aware of that. And I think that's why for me, it's been so easy to like to catch yeah. it because there's always been different ways of, you know, different things. And it always comes with trauma, like how you handle that. I don't know if you've, you've listened to any of our episodes, but we end each oh, episode yeah. by asking your favorite restaurant. It's funny when you ask that because I was like, I was living in Jersey, so I'm yeah. going to do a Jersey um, restaurant and it's a village trotteria in Maplewood, New Jersey. They have two locations, one in South Orange, but mm -hmm. Maplewood is the OG spizzat. Get a buffalo slice with a white slice and enjoy the rest of your day. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and follow the podcast wherever it is you listen to it so that we can bring you more unexpected stories by ordinary people. And if you didn't like the episode, forget what I just said and just please don't tell anyone.